It's so weird with anxiety because like if your check engine light comes on and you take your car to a mechanic, the mechanic doesn't say you have a check engine light turned on disorder. It's like, <laughs> it's it, that's just, that sounds absolutely ludicrous. But with anxiety, it's the same thing. You know, people, their check engine light, the anxiety turns on, they go to a therapist and then they're told they have a check engine light disorder. And it's like, no, you don't. It's a signal. We need to figure out what the signal is pointing towards. Hey, brave one, welcome to another episode of the Women Aware and Prepared podcast. I'm your host, Mandy Pratt, a trained domestic violence victim advocate who teaches women and vulnerable populations how to be street smart. You'll hear some true crime stories, but most importantly, how we might prevent crimes happening to us. Return each week to learn safety tips and emotional self-defense so we live empowered with peace Let's be less naive and leave helplessness and worry behind so we can be safer, savvy, aware, and prepared. Welcome back. Here in the Women Aware and Prepared podcast, we talk about self-defense techniques, not just the physical ones, but also the psychological ones. We did our mini series on fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, and that was a great series I hope you guys found helpful. I thought it would be super special to have an expert come on and speak with us about anxiety and getting out of fight or flight and calming our nervous system. Britt Frank is a licensed neuropsychotherapist and author of The Science of Stuck, named by Esquire and New York Magazine as a must read. Britt received her undergraduate degree from Duke University and her master's degree from the University of Kansas, where she later became an award-winning adjunct instructor. Britt is a contributing columnist to Psychology Today, and her work has been featured in Forbes, NPR, Fast Company, Psych Central, Self, and Thrive Global. So without further ado, Britt, go ahead and say hello and share with us who you are and who you help. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. So my name is Britt Frank, and I am a neuropsychotherapist, which is a big mouthful. And all that really means is I'm a therapist with specialized training in the brain and the nervous system, because a lot of talk therapists ignore the fact that we have a body. And often body-based therapies ignore the fact that we have a mind. And we really, in order to live our best lives and do the things we want to do, it helps to be able to do both. So my work really focuses on empowering people to understand not just the brain, but also the brain, nervous system, body, mind connections so that we can return to choice and drive our lives more efficiently and more smoothly than when we're locked in the trunk of the car going 90 miles an hour. Definitely. And tell us about your book. So the book is called The Science of Stuck. And I really wrote the book that I wish I had had when I first started noticing that my human experience was difficult and I had no idea what feelings were. I had no idea what body responses or trauma. I didn't know what fight or flight was, let alone freeze or fawn. I didn't know any of these things. And so The Science of Stuck is sort of my show and tell. It's not like, here's Britt's opinion on life. The book is a collection of all of what I thought were the most most helpful books, teachers, tools, resources, little tricks that I've learned as a therapist and as a recovering addict person. 
So there's a lot of information in there covering a lot of different areas, but it's easy to digest. I did not want a textbook on anxiety and a textbook on the nervous system. I just wanted someone to give me one book and be like, here, here's the the overview of it all. Here are just the bottom lines. And it's called The Science of Stuck and not The Science of Trauma because not everyone identifies as you know having trauma, but we all know what it's like to be stuck. Definitely. Yes. And I have to say, I've dug into your book and I am loving it. I've written so much down. <laughs> Thank you. I wanted to pull out some of the things that really stood out to me so far. So we talked about fight or flight in our previous series because I have read about and noticed myself and also had students who just seemed like they were such in heightened you know, response that they couldn't even really pay attention to what they needed to pay attention to because everything was heightened. And so that's why we did the series on how to bring down your nervous system. And also I personally have a neuromuscular disorder in which it's very, very important for me to bring that nervous system down and calm it because that helps my symptoms get better. So Um, This was not only helpful to the people who are listening, but also helpful to myself. So I shared that, but I really wanted to talk about what a couple of things that you mentioned in the book. I love when you said anxiety is a superpower. And I was like, what? What do you mean? I loved what you said about that. So if you can expound on that for our listeners, I think that would be helpful. Yeah. When I say that anxiety is a superpower, I'm certainly not saying that we have to like it or that it feels good or that I don't struggle with it just like every other human that I know. And again, the physiology of anxiety is awful. It's terrifying. It can be debilitating. It could really inhibit our ability to live life. I am not minimizing how awful it feels. Yes. And and here's the big and, not but, and. We need it. We need it. It's a superpower. If we didn't have anxiety, how are we supposed to know if a relationship is dangerous or if something didn't quite, you know, that spidey sense that we call a gut feeling or our intuition or whatever, right. that's anxiety. It's a yes. heightened around. And again, the word anxiety is very scary because of the association that like it comes out of nowhere and it attacks us. It's like, no, your brain doesn't attack you when you feel anxious. That's your brain trying to help you. It doesn't feel good. Like it's super unpleasant, but without anxiety, our lives stop working very quickly. Right. And I love how you said in the book that anxiety is, it's not necessarily a disease, but it's a signal. It's kind of like a check engine light. Like when your check engine light goes on in your car and you're like, "Uh oh, something's wrong, but I'm not sure quite what. So I'm going to take it in and get it figured out. And I mean, I'm a clinician and a trauma expert. I am able to diagnose mental illness. And I'm not saying mental illness isn't real. I mean, I've had severe mental illness on both sides of my family, as far as the eye can see. But I will tell you that in more than a decade of treating people, I have never seen anxiety that's just out of nowhere with no definable origin that's pathological. Anxiety is not a disease. And I know there's a lot of pushback that I get from people on that, but 
if you look at the function of it, what's a disease? A disease is something that is like there that invades your body that causes harm and unwellness left unchecked. Anxiety can contribute to heart disease. It can contribute to lots of things, but anxiety itself is not a disease. Anxiety is a very unpleasant check engine light in our brains. Right. And I love how you gave examples in your book of different clients that you had and they came in for anxiety And then once you really uncovered it, it was the one person who had social anxiety and she didn't want to go out to parties, especially ones where there were more men than women. And she discovered that her body was remembering trauma that she had at a college party when she was assaulted. I liked how you're giving examples of, you know, what's underneath that anxiety And what's really causing that? Again, like the check engine light came on and we went and got it diagnosed and figured out what exactly, you know, was the problem. It's so weird with anxiety because like if your check engine light comes on and you take your car to a mechanic, the mechanic doesn't say you have a check engine light turned on disorder. It's like, (laughs) that's just, that sounds absolutely ludicrous. But with anxiety, it's the same thing. You know, people, their check engine light, the anxiety turns on, they go to a therapist and then they're told they have a check engine light disorder. And it's like, no, you don't. It's a signal. We need to figure out what the signal is pointing towards. Mm -hmm. So that's why you're saying it's our superpower because it's telling us something super important that we need to address. Yeah. I love that. And you also said that we are wired for survival. We are wired to seek safety, not serenity. So I've mentioned something like that too before, how our brains are there to keep us alive. They're there for survival. And a lot of times, unfortunately, when you've been through a lot of trauma and such, your brain, it's so heightened that you're always looking over your shoulder and you're always feeling like you're in danger and then you can't relax. So then you can't really, number one, obviously enjoy life. But number two, be able to notice your surroundings, be aware of your surroundings and feel grounded enough to notice when something is off. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I remember too, you were talking about panic attacks and obviously that's when your anxiety is so high and your body is having a response And you were talking about the panic attack as your brain's misinterpretation of data. Yeah. And again, the language thing is not about me trying to gatekeep terms. It's about call panic an attack. Assume, and your brain is listening to what you're telling it. If you are telling your brain, I am having an attack. Well, what's your brain supposed to do when it's being attacked? Your brain is supposed to ramp up its physiology and protect you. So just by telling your brain, I'm having an attack, you have now unintentionally amplified, held a microphone up to the symptom. So the panic's not an attacker. Nothing is attacking you. I understand you don't know where it comes from. And I understand it feels like it's attacking you because the I'm going to puke. I'm going to die. My heart is pounding. My palms are sweating. I get the physiology is awful. But one of the fastest ways to deactivate a panic, quote, attack is to remind yourself I'm not being attacked. I'm not being attacked. My brain is on my side. Now, sometimes panic is a reasonable response to a threat. Often our brain is misinterpreting the data that we are in as a threat from the past or fear of a threat from the future. But it's just like, 
if I'm at a party and I'm all of a sudden feeling panicky, if I'm not actually being injured, then my brain is not overreacting. It's just mismatching. Like the fear and terror that I'm experiencing belongs somewhere. It just doesn't belong to the here and now. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Number one, if you're feeling panic, don't say I'm having a panic attack. Say I'm having panic. Like just drop the word attack. Yeah. That's interesting. I've never heard that before. That's why I love your book because it's got so many original ideas and different ways of looking at things that I feel are really helpful. Something else that you said too, that I liked, first of all, let me preface that with saying that we have some teenagers listening here. And I know that anxiety is heightened right now with our teenagers. And I honestly feel like a lot of moms as well. So I remember you had said that managing your thoughts only works when you're in a safe environment where choices are available. So I've heard a lot of people say, well, just change your mind, change your thoughts. And, you know, I would love to be able to do that. But I feel like sometimes even in my own life, when I've had so much trauma you know, you set yourself up because you're like, okay, so I'm going to change my thoughts, but then why doesn't it work for me? And then you feel bad. So what do you have to say about that? Yeah. And then what happens when you try to do something, it doesn't work, then you feel bad. And then the feeling bad is going to create another survival response in the body, right? So now I'm feeling bad. I tried to think positive to not feel bad. That didn't work. So now I feel worse. And now I have all of the original bad plus all the shame I feel because my thing didn't work. I mean, it's a loop that goes nowhere. So it can help by saying to yourself that if changing your mindset worked, it would have worked by now. Like I'm not anti-mind work. I think there's some, of course. I mean, challenging our thoughts, changing how we speak to like all that stuff's great. But in any given moment, if you're feeling stuck, it's not usually mind work. That's the first stop on the path. Mind work is great for like mile six, once you've gotten up and running. But when your body is locked down in a, a freeze response or super amped in a flight response, logic won't work because the problem isn't in your mind. The problem is in your body. So rather than asking yourself, how can I change my mind? Because that doesn't shift your body. The question is, what are my, what are three options that can help shift my body state? Not my mind state, my body state, which is usually something like sensory, squeeze something, touch something, pull something, push something, get cold, get hot, find something to smell. You know, the language of the body is sensation and movement, not logic and reason. Right. Thank you so much for explaining that. That's super helpful. Yeah. Speaking of teenagers in particular, what would help them? Like what you just said was helpful. One of the episodes that was just released was an answer to the question that they have asked me because I go speak at schools and sometimes they'll have me be on their podcast and they like to ask me questions like about my story and then how did you get better? And how does somebody really actually ask for help when they need it? So these are the kinds of questions that they're asking me. So for a teenager who's experiencing anxiety, now you could put a thousand teenage aged humans in front of me and likely each one has a very different experience and a different stressor and a different origin of the anxiety. So the first thing we want to do is take all of the like 
generalized broad language out of it. Oh my God, I'm having an anxiety attack is actually not helpful. One, we know now we don't say the word attack because that doesn't help our brain. Oh my God, I feel so anxious. And this is true for moms too. It's not helpful. How is your brain supposed to get to a solution if we're not using specific language? So using metaphors like, oh my God, I feel like I'm drowning. I feel like, you know, I'm underwater. My life's a dumpster fire. I'm not saying that that's not what it feels like, but what rather than I'm so anxious, if I'm a teenager, it might be, oh my God, I have a friend who's addicted to whatever. And I have seven papers that are due tomorrow. And I have, you know, a parent who I'm fighting with and I have like, really, really scary thoughts running through my brain all the time. We can do something with that. So the first intervention for anxiety, regardless of how old you are, is let's get specific. What are we actually talking about? That's the first thing. Because we need to know what we're talking about. Because if someone sits down on my couch and just says, I'm so anxious, I could tell them to take a deep breath, but that's not going to work. I could tell them to squeeze a fidget ball, but that's not necessarily going to work either. We need to know what are we talking about? So step one, get really specific. And then for each of those specific things, what are three choices? I call these micro yeses. They don't have to be big. Asking for help is really big and really scary. But if you can come up with a a micro yes for asking for help might be, who are two people online that are talking about the thing that I need help with? So maybe my micro yes is I read someone's words or watch someone's YouTube video or whatever. But for each of the things that you've identified, what are three itty bitty microscopic sized yeses? And then of those step three, so it's three steps. Step one, actually identify what it is you're feeling and thinking and worried about. Step two, identify three micro yeses. And then step three, pick one. What are you willing to do? It might feel too overwhelming to make a phone call to ask for help. Fine. If you're not willing to do that, no problem. Let's find your way to a yes. Because as soon as you find your way to a yes, you're going to orient your nervous system. And then you're going to be able to access a little bit of regulation, which then will perpetuate a regulation loop instead of a dysregulation loop. Perfect. That's super helpful. And yeah, I'm sure our listeners are probably taking notes too. (laughs) Yes. And of course, I'm going to drop into the show notes a link to your book and then lessons learned from today's episode. Is there anything else that you would like to add? Yeah. So the word crazy is problematic. It's very pejorative. It's used to label. It's used to I to other people. And As someone who thought they were crazy forever, it's so important to me now as a human and as a therapist for people to know there's no such thing as crazy. Like crazy is a label we put on things we don't understand. So just because someone sees someone talking to a tree on the side of the road doesn't mean that person's crazy. I've treated that person. I've read their case file. If you look at someone's history, it's not hard to see how we we wound up here. Just because, you know, with psychosis, which is often not a sign of craziness, it's a sign that there's a, like too much dopamine in someone's brain that can't be metabolized will cause someone to have often, not always, I'm not a doctor, talk to your doctor, but like 
there are a lot of reasons why even the most bizarre of symptoms and thoughts and behaviors show up, not to excuse behavior, but there is no such thing as crazy. So if you are listening to this and you feel like, oh my God, I am just crazy. Just know crazy is a judgment. It is not a biological reality. Like there is not a crazy diagnosis. Like whatever your thing is, you're not crazy. There is no such thing as crazy. Perfect. Thank you. Is that something you would have said to yourself as a teenager? Number one thing I would have said to myself. Uh, That's awesome. And Britt, do you want to tell us about your book? Yeah, um, you can find the book anywhere you buy books and my website, scienceofstuck.com. And I write on Instagram and I post little mental health tidbits or sometimes my random thoughts, occasionally pictures of my adventures out in the world, because it's really fun for me after a multi-decade trauma drug history that I can do things now like acrobatics and surfing and whatnot. I, I think our potential to heal is limited by our resources and our access, but given safety, access to resources and choices, there's just an endless amount of healing that's to the degree that we have access to resources and choices and safety, we can heal. And that's a beautiful thing. I love that. Let me ask one last thing. Britt, since you are a neuropsychotherapist, how would one find somebody like you locally? Because you're in the Midwest, right? I am. I am on the West Coast. And I know some of our listeners are on the East Coast. And we even have some from London. So how would one find somebody like you if they wanted to see somebody locally? Yeah. And neuropsychotherapist isn't a designation. It's not like this is your neuropsychotherapy certificate. All that means is that I have specialized training that takes into account the brain and the body. Now, there are lots of different modalities and therapies that do that. I'm trained in somatic experiencing. Um, The somatic experiencing website has a directory. EMDR is another neuro body based modality. If you Google EMDR national directory, you'll find one. I'm also trained in internal family systems. They have a directory. So, you know, you can go on Google or even ask ChatGPT just for a list of brain body informed therapy techniques or therapy modalities, anything that addresses the nervous system in the brain falls under the umbrella of neuropsychotherapy and then play and pick one. I'm not anti any of them. I just know that certain ones work better for me. Others do not EFT tapping. That's one of them. Hypnotherapy, drama therapy, art therapy, music therapy, equine therapy, anything that addresses the fact that you have a body is going to be useful. So play around if you're able and pick which ones. If one doesn't work for you, like try another one. Fortunately, there are endless paths to healing the brain and the nervous system. There is no one right way. I love that. Thank you. And can you just explain for those of us who don't know what somatic is? Can you explain that? Yeah. And I love the work and I love my training in it. The name is a bit of a mouthful. I wish someone would call it like they need like a a TikTok marketer to come up with a, a snappier name than somatic experiencing. All that is, is somatic means body and experiencing is we experience our body through our, you know, our senses and our body sensations. Somatic experiencing works with the physical body. What do you notice in your chest? What do you notice in your stomach and working to complete uncompleted cycles? 
cycle. They call it the threat response cycle. I call it brain indigestion. So anywhere where an experience has gotten stuck in your brain, somatic experiencing helps your body metabolize, digest, break it down so that you can tolerate all of the sensations associated with a particular experience. Got it. Thank you for explaining that. And then I know people are going to ask if you see clients online. I cannot see clients outside of the state of Kansas. I restrict my practice to only people in my state uh, where I hold a license, but I do offer trauma consultations and strategy sessions. And that's like a one-time thing where you can call me and you can pick my brain. And so that's more of like a consult or an an education session. And all that information is on my website. Awesome. And what is your website? Scienceofstuck.com. Just like your book. Just like the book. Thank you so much, Britt. I'm sure that we've all learned quite a few things. So thank you. Thank you. A few of the lessons learned today with Britt were, number one, anxiety serves as a signal, like a check engine light that helps point out issues in our lives that need to be addressed. Number two, anxiety is a natural response to perceived threats. It becomes problematic when left unchecked, potentially contributing to various health issues. Number three, it's essential to be specific when disclosing anxiety or any mental health issue. Generalized terms like, I'm so anxious, may not provide a clear understanding of what's happening. Number four, for anyone experiencing anxiety, identify specific concerns, break them down into manageable steps, and take small actions micro yeses, as Britt called them. Number five, instead of trying to change your mindset immediately, focus on changing your body state. Engaging in sensory activities or movements can help regulate your nervous system. Number six, somatic experiencing is a therapeutic approach that focuses on the physical body's sensations and helps individuals complete unprocessed threat response cycles allowing them to better tolerate past experiences. Number seven, it was recommended to find a therapist or practitioner who specializes in neurobody-based therapies like somatic experiencing, such as EMDR, equine therapy, art therapy, EFT, etc. You can follow Britt Frank on her Instagram page at Britt Frank, B-R-I-T-T, F-R-A-N-K. You can find her book and more about her and her services on her website, scienceofstuck.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. You can leave a review and let me know what you found most helpful. You can find me on Instagram at women aware and prepared. And if you want more from me, you can join my Tuesday tip emails at womenawareandprepared.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Remember, you are worthy of a safe and peaceful life.